This is the Scottish Football Citizen, bringing you the best of Scottish football from the past. I'm Andy Kerr, and this week I'm joined by Jim Orr and Lindsay Hamilton as we look ahead to Scotland's upcoming appearance at Euro 2020 by looking back at our first ever appearance in a European Championship tournament in 1992, where we went to Sweden full of hope. Before we get started, we have this week's trivia question for you. Which club were Andy Roxburgh and Alex Ferguson teammates at? We'll give you the answer at the end of the podcast. It was the summer of 1992 and Scotland were about to enter previously unknown territory. For years, Scotland had been qualifying for World Cups, reaching five consecutive tournaments from 1974 all the way to 1990. But this was different. This was the first time that Scotland had successfully qualified for a European Championship Finals and they were off to Sweden. Started in 1960, teams from all over the continent had competed every four years for the prestigious Henry Delaney Trophy and now Scotland were one of the lucky ones who would have a chance to win it. Nowadays 24 teams have a chance to qualify for the Euros but back in 1992 only eight teams got to complete in the finals and Scotland were determined to put their invite to the tournament to good use. This was to be a tournament of lasts. It was the last European Championship tournament to feature eight teams. It was the last UEFA tournament to award two points for a win and it was the last tournament before the back pass rule was introduced. The tournament was held in four cities across the south of Sweden in Norrköping, Malmö, Stockholm and Gothenburg. The stadium used in Gothenburg was Elevi where Aberdeen had famously upset the odds to beat Real Madrid in the 1983 Cup Winners' Cup final. The world in 1992 was undergoing great change. The Soviet Union was dissolved on the 31st of December 1991, and from it Russia emerged, as well as a glut of new Eastern European states. The Cold War was ending, and the world was no longer in fear of nuclear war between the two dominant global superpowers. The Maastricht Treaty was signed in 1992, creating the European Union from the previous EEC. Germany had been reunited in 1990 and was starting to find its feet in the world. And more upheaval was yet to come in the Balkans, as Slovenia and Croatia seceded from Yugoslavia in late 1991, sparking a series of conflicts which would continue for almost a decade. The beginning of the breakup of Yugoslavia had major consequences for the 1992 European Championships, as Yugoslavia had been one of the eight teams to qualify for the tournament. They finished top of their group, with Denmark finishing as runners-up, but after the UN placed restrictions on the country, Yugoslavia was disqualified. It was decided that Denmark should take their place and the Danes were only given 10 days' notice to get themselves ready and make the short trip to Sweden. The eight finalists were Sweden, France, England, Denmark, Scotland, Germany, the Netherlands and the Commonwealth of Independent States. After the breakup of the USSR, they competed as the CIS for this tournament and would compete as Russia in future tournaments. It was also the first tournament that a united Germany had competed in since the end of World War II, as in the Italy 1990 World Cup they had competed and won 
as West Germany. In order to reach the tournament, Scotland had won a qualifying group containing Switzerland, Romania, Bulgaria and San Marino. They started off on the 12th September 1990 at Hamden, where goals from John Robertson and Ali McCoy were enough to see off Romania 2-1. The next month they hosted Switzerland and beat the Swiss 2-1, with goals from the penalty spot by Robertson and a Gary McAllister strike. The next two games were both draws, away and at home to Bulgaria, with Ali McCoy scoring in Sofia and John Collins at Hamden. San Marino were beaten 2-0 and Serravale with a striking penalty and a jury strike. Before Scotland earned a 2-2 draw with the Swiss in Bern, thanks to strikes from Jury and McCoyst. Scotland's only loss in the group came away to Romania, a 1-0 loss in Bucharest. But this was followed up by putting San Marino to the sword 4-0. Goals from McStay, Goff, Jury and McCoyst were enough to seal qualification. Scotland top group 2 on 11 points, 1 point ahead of Switzerland on 10 points. Scotland manager Andy Roxburgh and his assistant Craig Brown were tasked with picking 20 players to take to Sweden. And they settled on an experienced squad with a smattering of youth players. The shirt numbering was rather unusual, as although both goalkeepers wore the traditional number 1 and number 12 jerseys, the outfield players wore their numbers in order of the amount of caps they had won. Captain Richard Goff had 56 caps going into the tournament, so he wore the number 2. Bali McCoy wore the number 5, despite his position as a striker, due to his 38 caps. The unfortunate player with the least amount of caps, and therefore the number 20 shirt, was Duncan Ferguson, then of Dundee United. Only 4 of the 20 players were based at clubs in England, with the rest being at Scottish clubs. Andy Roxburgh and Craig Brown decided to take their squad to the USA to prepare for Sweden. The squad flew from Glasgow to Chicago in mid-May, where they trained at the Illinois Benedictine College sports facilities. As well as taking part in training sessions, the squad took in a baseball game at Comiskey Park, watching the Chicago Cubs lose to the Atlanta Braves. On the 17th of May, the Scots party travelled to Denver, where they played a friendly match with the USA in Denver's Mile High Stadium. Andy Roxburgh was keen to test his players out at high altitude, believing that the height above sea level would improve the squad's fitness for the Scandinavian tournament. A Pat Nevin goal was enough to win the match 1-0 for Scotland, and it was to prove a memorable day for Ali McCoy too, as after the game he was told he'd won the European Golden Boot. This trophy is now on display in the Scottish Football Museum at Hampden Park. The following day it was two flights for the Scotland team, one back to Chicago from Denver, and then from Chicago on to Toronto and Canada. The Canadian national team were waiting for Scotland at the Varsity Stadium on 20th of May, and so were a vast number of Scots living in Toronto. Goals from Gary McAllister, a brace that included a penalty, and Dally McCoy, so off the Canadians 3-1. The Canadian team didn't have many players of international renown, but their side did feature a young Nick Dasevich, who would later be well known by St Johnston fans. Following the win over Canada, it was back to Chicago and then Glasgow before the team met up at McDermott Park in Perth for more training ahead of a final friendly against Norway. This game was a 0-0 draw played in Oslo that featured Henning Berg playing for the Norwegians. While the action on the park wasn't particularly memorable, it was for Maurice Malpass who played his 50th match for the national team and was captain for the day 
as he wrote himself into the Scottish Football Hall of Honour. And so to the tournament itself. The first match took place on the 10th of June 1992 as the host Sweden managed to earn a creditable 1-1 draw with France. Scotland's first match was scheduled for the 12th of June in Gothenburg against the Netherlands, who many fancied to retain their title after the triumph in West Germany against the Soviet Union. It would be a tough task for Scotland to match some of the players at their opponent's disposal, including Ronald Koeman, Dennis Bergkamp, Frank Rijkaard, Marco van Basten and Ruud Hulet. The Dutch also had Frank de Boer and Danny Blind on their bench to call upon, and they were managed by the legendary Dutch coach Renus Michels. Scotland lined up with the following team. Andy Gorham, Stuart McKimmy, Richard Gough, Dave McPherson, Morris Malpass, Gary McAllister, Paul McStay, Stuart McCall, Brian McClare, Gordon Judy and Ali McCoist. Kevin Gallagher would replace Ali McCoist in the 73rd minute and Duncan Ferguson would replace Brian McClare in the 78th minute. In his pre-match team talk, Andy Roxburgh gathered his side together and prepared to say a few words to inspire his team. People say Scotland is just a wee nation and we don't have much of an effect on the world. Well, we might only be a wee country, but we've had a few effects. When you go out on that part today, you'll be doing something that no Scottish player has ever done. All those superstars of the past, nobody ever did what you are doing. It's something that nobody can ever take away from you. Minutes later, the anthems were being sung and the teams were ready to face off. The Swedish referee Lennart Sundqvist blew his whistle at 17.15 local time and Scotland had begun their first ever European Championship tie. The debutants played well with plenty of spirit and determination but were ultimately beaten by the Dutch as they played a ball over the Scottish defence in the 75th minute. The ball was headed downwards into the path of Dennis Bergkamp, who was coming towards the six-yard box. The non-flying Dutchman struck and Andy Gorham was helpless. Scotland had had their chances throughout the game but failed to take any of them. A typical hard luck story. There was no shame in losing to the European Championships, but there was no time to dwell on it as Scotland had a flight to catch almost immediately after the game was over to go to Norrköping, where they would face the world champions of Germany. Everyone, that is, except for Ali McCoist and Stuart McKimmy, who had to stay behind to take part in a routine UEFA drugs test. They would join the rest of the squad afterwards for the crunch match that Scotland now had to take something from in order to qualify for the semi-finals. The Germans had been held to a surprise 1-1 draw by the CIS though, only equalising late on in the match through a curling free kick from Thomas Hassler. Germany might have been the world champions, but Andy Roxburgh and his men were in high spirits ahead of the match, thoroughly believing that they could get something from the crucial game. On the 15th of June, the same starting lineup from three days previously took to the field against a team that contained the likes of Andreas Bremer, Karl Heinz Riedler, 
Matthias Sammer, Stefan Effenberg and Jürgen Klinsmann. The Germans were managed by Bertie Votes, who would later become an infamous name in Scottish football history. The game was very open, with chances coming at both ends of the park, but it was Karl-Heinz Riedler who opened the scoring for Germany after coming into the 18-yard box and volleying the ball home following some neat passing. Unfortunately for Richard Goch, the ball went right between his legs and Andy Gorham had no time to react to the powerful shot. Scotland managed to create chances in the remainder of the first half and had their heads up going into the second half, but everything went to pot for the Scots in the 47th minute. Stefan Effenberg travelled with the ball to the far side of the penalty box and released a cross-come shot. In a disastrous stroke of luck for Morris Malpass, the ball deflected off his outstretched leg and straight into Gorham's goal. The Germans were 2-0 up and Scotland looked like they were going home despite looking like they could have scored a handful of goals themselves. Andy Roxburgh could only fume when he spoke to the press after the match. He said, Scotland pulverised Germany for a lot of that game. They scored a freakish second goal and the scoreline was a nonsense. Later that evening, the Netherlands played out a goalless draw with the CIS, meaning that while Scotland were out, there were three sides that could still qualify. The press jokingly asked Andy Roxburgh if he would help his old pal Bertie Votes by beating the Russians for them. To which Roxburgh replied defiantly, No, we'll beat them for us. Scotland were now playing for nothing more than pride. After all, they didn't want to end their first Euros without scoring any goals, let alone getting any points on the board. As the team bus pulled up to the stadium in North Coping, the CIS team bus was also there, and the Russians were in a confident mood. A win against the Scots would put them through at the expense of Germany. Stuart McCall saw a couple of his Ibrox teammates in Alexei Mihailichenko and Oleg Kuznetsov. McCall said that Mikhailichenko was showing him a bottle of champagne and pointing to it, suggesting that there would be a qualification party after the match. Kuznetsov would later allege that Ali McCoyst had told him the Scots would be hung over from the night before. But this was just a classic Super Ali wind-up. For the final game, Andy Roxburgh tweaked his team line-up slightly, going with the following side. Andy Gorham, Stuart McKimmy, Richard Goch, Dave McPherson, Tom Boyd, Ganny McAllister, Brian McClear, Paul McStay, Stuart McCall, Kevin Gallagher and Ali McCoyst. Jim McAnally and Pat Nevin would replace Brian McClare and Kevin Gallagher respectively in the second half. The game got off to the best possible start for Scotland. A long-range Paul McStay shot hit the post but deflected straight in off the hapless goalie in the seventh minute. In the sixteenth minute, the Scottish crowd were even more delighted when the ball found Brian McClare close to 25 yards from goal and his powerful shot took a deflection off a Russian defender and found the bottom right-hand corner of the net. It looked like the Scots were going to do the Germans a favour after all. The Russian route was completed with a routine Gary McAllister penalty 
which he calmly slotted home to make it 3-0. Scotland might not have been going any further in the tournament, but the fans were in the mood to party, and they chanted their manager's name as he defiantly showed that his side weren't going away with a whimper. The Germans must have breathed a sigh of relief too on seeing the Scotland score, as they ended up losing 3-1 to the Netherlands. Back on the bus back to the team hotel, the Scots poked fun at their domestic teammates through the window, with Stuart McCall cheekily asking Mihailochenko if he could have any of their champagne from earlier. According to him, the Russians didn't see the funny side of the joke, but the Scottish players had good reason to toast their win despite crashing out of the tournament. Stuart McCall said, We finished with pride intact. Every tournament we got to, we never qualified any further. The joke used to be that the Scotland team would be back before the postcards were, but England were knocked out by Sweden the night before. We went further than England in the tournament, even if it was only because we played a day later. And that was that. Scotland had gone and competed in their first ever European Championships. While it may not have gone as well as Andy Roxburgh and Craig Brown would have perhaps liked, Scotland had competed well against both the European and World Champions, and had it been for a slice of luck, could have come away with more than two credible losses. After the Scots left, Germany beat Sweden 3-2, while the Dutch were knocked out 4-5 on penalties after a 2-2 draw with Denmark. Marco van Basten had his penalty saved by Peter Schmeichel, and the surprise package had exceeded all expectations. The Danes then went on to upset the odds and win the tournament they hadn't even originally qualified for, by beating Germany 2-0. As for Scotland, Andy Roxburgh was unable to qualify for six consecutive World Cups and failed to qualify for USA 94, the only consolation being that England, Wales and Northern Ireland all failed to qualify as well. Roxburgh resigned and his assistant Brown took over with the task of getting Scotland to the next Euros in England. Not only would Brown manage to achieve this, he would also ensure qualification for the subsequent World Cup in France in 1998. At the start of the podcast, we asked you which club Andy Roxburgh and Alex Ferguson were teammates at. The answer is Falkirk. Both Roxburgh and Ferguson joined the Burns in 1969 and were teammates until 1972 when Roxburgh moved on to Clydebank. After retiring from playing in 1975, Roxburgh became the SFA's first director of coaching and worked his way up to the position of manager, having taken charge of the country's youth teams. As for Ferguson, you probably have a good idea of what he got up to next. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Scottish Football Citizen. Subscribe to us on your favourite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And join us again next week when we'll be looking back at more of the best of Scottish football from the past. If you're enjoying the podcast and want to leave us a review, please email Andy at andy.care at scottishfootballmuseum.org.uk. Your feedback is appreciated. If you'd like an extra football fix in your inbox every Tuesday, you can subscribe to Football Memories Scotland's weekly newsletter, The Football Special and receive an email full of excellent pictures and stories from days gone by. To find out more, email lindsay at lindsay.hamilton at scottishfootballmuseum.org.uk 
The Scottish Football Citizen is written, edited and produced by Andy Kerr for Football Memories Scotland, in association with Alzheimer Scotland and the Scottish Football Museum. Additional contributions from Robert Harvey, Jim Orr, Lindsay Hamilton and Richard McBrearty. Additional material from the Scottish Football Association, the Glasgow Times, the Glasgow Herald and BBC Sports Scotland.